Hello everyone, welcome to a very special episode of Greedy Keeps. Today we have Pongo of Najila and Team Turn 3 fame. But today we're going to be discussing a very unique deck. I, I really like the deck. It's, uh, it is Kenan's House of Mirrors. So Kenan's House of Mirrors is Pongo's personal Kenan brew. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the combo lines and what makes your list a little bit unique? Sure. Um, thanks for having me, uh, first of all, and I'm happy to be here again, as always. Um, so basically the idea with this deck is that I kind of built upon previous Kinnon decks that were um, mostly all in on, not all in, but like largely in on Scepter combos, um, as well as, you know, like Tides about Tyrant. And I was also looking at the time when I was sort of working on this deck at um, some of the other decks that were using like the aura type effects. Ultimately, the thing that drew me to playing this deck was that I was not really happy with how Urza was performing. And I said, well, you know, how do you fix any deck? You just add green to it. Um, and kind of like, you know, to me, Kinnon kind of felt like, uh, a, for my playstyle at least, a, a slightly uh, preferable version of Urza. Um, so at that point, I was looking at the existing deck list and some of the existing lines and and in gold fishing them and in trying out stuff, I was like, well, you know, the, the lines that seem to always be working out the best for me, the most easily, and, and, you know, that happen to just seem the simplest to pull off are the Basalt Monolith lines, um, where you just essentially have Kinnon out, uh, like turn two or turn one, like you normally plan to, you slam Basalt Monolith, and you instantly have infinite colorless mana. Now, obviously, the problem with that is that you need something to actually sink the infinite colorless mana into, um, and, you know, the deck was playing a few outlets because, uh, you know, like Basalt Monolith was always an inclusion in those decks because of how powerful it is with Kinnon, essentially being a one-card combo. Um, so my initial uh, plan with the deck was, okay, if I'm going to focus more on these Basalt Monolith combos uh, and, you know, not play the aura effects, which, uh, you know, like Freed from the Real and Pemmin's Aura, which I don't particularly like. I, I didn't find them very strong in testing. Um, how, how am I going to make the Basalt Monolith lines better? Uh, and so step one was, you know, I was experimenting with the addition of a few extra outlets uh, for infinite mana. So, you know, things like Stroke of Genius, but also like clone effects. You know, the thinking being that if people are playing Thrasios, and obviously Thrasios is omnipresent in the meta, um, then you've essentially, you're playing like two additional soft outlets. Um, where you know you clone somebody's Thrasios after you make infinite colorless mana, and you and you just get there from there. Um, and there's, so I mean, there's sorry. also just like a lot of other weird creatures you could copy when you have infinite mana that you know just might you know you might be able to like filter or like I imagine copying a Kenrith is like even if you don't have tons of colored mana is still like it's still pretty sick. It can give your creatures well, haste or. Yeah, so maybe not with uh, infinite colorless mana, um, but you know, to to your point, um, there is just a lot of good creatures in the format that you can copy. So part of running these copy effects was not only are you increasing the density of outlets, you know, soft outlets in this case, but you're also not really hurting your card quality all that much, you know, by playing random things that do absolutely nothing else other than, you know, um, consume infinite mana to generate some other resource. Um, so that was the original thinking. Um, and so building upon that I idea, I said, okay, well, you know, now that I've kind of got the B side of this combo 
a little bit figured out and you know it wasn't fully figured out at the time uh, how are we making the basalt monolith combo a little bit more effective and what was curious to me at the time with a lot of the sort of more present more popular Kinnan uh, deck lists that were available is that a lot of them weren't playing artifact tutors um, mostly because you know a lot of people will disagree and a lot of people will agree with this wholeheartedly scepter lines are just like not that strong like isochron scepter is not that good of a card and um you know if you're playing artifact centric combos like sure you're going to play artifact tutors you know urza plays a lot of artifact tutors because urza has artifact based combos but you know like those artifact tutors in particular you know if you're not also like playing things like Static Orb and Winter Orb and stuff like that kind of feel like a little bit more limited and like not as valuable. So I understand why people were not necessarily going all in on them in the Kinnon builds uh, at the time because, well, Scepter on its own wasn't particularly powerful and you couldn't really convert them um, into like value if you needed to or if you wanted to uh, or, you know, you didn't have alternative uh, tutor targets that felt really good to play. But nonetheless, I sort of carried on and I said, okay, well, I'm going to try to improve this consistency issue by uh, playing the extra tutors um, and sure enough you know the deck gets very consistent in getting basalt monolith on turn three um, but you know there's still this issue where it's like okay I don't necessarily feel like I have enough outlets and I you know I'm playing all these tutors a lot of the time I find myself in a position where I have infinite colorless mana you know an extra artifact tutor but no way to convert into a win condition, uh, some some way of actually getting infinite colored mana so I can activate Kinnon to find a proper outlet. Um, so I ultimately, you know, went and did a bunch of research trying to find a solution to this, uh, you know, going so far as, you know, as we discussed uh, in, our, in, in our other episode about Kinnon, looking up every artifact we could possibly find um, on Scryfall and ultimately happened across uh, Mirage Mirror. And I won't go into too much detail about Mirage Mirror because I talked about that already quite a bit in the other video, but basically it solved a lot of the deck's problems and uh, um, a lot of those sort of uh, separate trains of thought and ideas all came together at that point. Yeah, we had a, lot of, a long conversation about that card in, in the video and outside the video, which is what, what actually led to the video happening, if I remember correctly. It's a pretty sick card. It's not a card you'd expect to see in a cdh list unless you'd done the kind of digging that you done where you're like oh i need a very specific piece that does a very specific thing and that and that card did it kind of perfectly for what you needed yeah you know it's one of those cards that's you know it, it does a pretty obviously powerful thing right it can copy like you know almost any type of permanent um but like it's not immediately apparent why it would be very good in, in competitive EDH. You know, it's, it's one of those cards that, uh, like, for example, Cobblepot would get incredibly excited about and, like, brew a deck around. And the deck, you know, like a lot of Cobblepot's brews, does something super innovative, super cool, um, but, like, you know, it might be missing, for example, like, one new card being printed to, like, really push it into, like, the sphere of, like, being really, really, really good. So, like, basically, Cobblepot does these fantastic creative brews, but, like, a lot of the time the card pool just, I think, <laughs> doesn't necessarily support his imagination. Um, in this case, it just so happened that um, Mirage Mirror, I, I think, actually, is even one of those cards that Cobblepot almost certainly talked about, like, back when it came out. Yeah, and, like, I can, I'm sure I can tried to do something was, with it. 
there, I mean, there was a ton of hype. I mean, people who are newer to EDH as a format or even CDH might not remember this or have been around for this. But when Mirage Mirror got spoiled, it was like it was like a a soul ring. Like people acted like it was like the next soul ring, a, a card that goes in every deck, uh, copies your opponent's Ristic Studies and their Mana Rocks. And uh, obviously, I don't think people look at the card the same way now. But I do remember playing like casual EDH at the time, and people just losing their minds over the card. So it, it it's interesting, you know, all these years later that. You know the card has a home, finally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the way I look at it. All right. So, do you have any before we get into the mulligans? Do you want to give any just small, you know, any heuristics that you have when you're mulliganing this deck? Yeah, sure. So, um, interestingly, the thing about this deck that a lot of people might not necessarily realize is that it's actually a pretty aggressive uh, combo deck. Um, you know, a lot of people see blue-green and they think like, okay, probably it's some kind of more mid-rangey strategy. Um, and obviously, um, you know, you can lean on the powerful tools that uh, blue-green offers you to to play a grindier game. But Kinnon's activated ability is not really a primary consideration in deck building. Um, you know, I've, I always considered that deck building approach, um, you know, while it's valid, I don't think it's the most powerful way to build Kinnon because you kind of fall into this trap where you're including all kinds of cards that you don't necessarily want to be playing just to try to get more value out of Kinnon. Um, and, you know, you're essentially flipping a coin uh, every time you activate Kinnon in the hopes that you get something that's not a seven-mana mana dork. Um, yeah. So. There's a few commanders that are in the format now that kind of have similar issues, right? Where, like, you have to make a decision over, like, how much synergy you want to do for, like, grinding. Like... Um, this might be a poor example of, but if you think of Najila, right? Like, as someone who's first looking at Najila, might say like, "Hey, I need to include all these warriors because I want to make Najila be able to create more warriors." When in reality, like, just having insane card quality and protecting Najila is quite good. Another example that's probably a bit more accurate is uh, Tazri, where you're like, "Oh, I'm going to play Tazri," um, and you're like, oh, "I'm going to play all these uh, wizards and rogues and clerics." When in reality, Spellseeker and Thassa's Oracle. Is really all you need, <laughs> you know. You just want to be playing the good cards that you'd want to be playing anyway, and like yeah. playing cards to force the synergy ultimately just hurts your uh, your card quality. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's that's something I'm I'm particularly sensitive to as a yeah as an argument. You know, I I think that there is certainly a place where you would want to be jamming things like um, you know, your like your Jin Kataxias and stuff like that into Kinnan and just in the hopes of you know flipping them off of uh, his activation ability, but. Uh, you know, I just don't necessarily think that drawing into cards like that is going to support your long-term game plan in this format uh, against, you know, some of the more uh, aggressive, uh, faster, and and even better at grinding decks. Yeah. It's, a, it's definitely an interesting spot, right? It reminds, uh, when you mentioned, like, cheating the Jink attacks into play, it reminds me of the old, like, Tassiger reanimator lists from, like, 2015, probably, maybe 2016. Um, and... You know, we don't really see anything like that anymore. There are there aren't, just aren't really archetypes that kind of are trying to do that kind of thing, you know? Well, if there are decks trying to do that type of thing, it tends to be a sort of generic good stuff type deck. You know, it, it's sort of commander agnostic, yeah. uh, you know, to, to use the example of uh, Reanimator specifically. Um, that's very much like a uh, bottom-up type of deck. 
uh, to build. So basically, I think that you know all of those ideas ultimately get subsumed under partners, uh, which is the unfortunate reality that we live in. Yeah, I mean there are like Razaketh decks and Vilas decks, and uh, there's there are decks out there that are playing Reanimator. I just don't see like the gr- maybe that's what maybe there are some decks out there, but in general, I don't see grindy Reanimator decks really. You know, usually people are trying to keep the card quality high, and those cards are kind of not great. But I, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, like Razakats, for example, is uh, an example yeah, that's of like... an explicitly grindy sort of mid range yeah. deck. I was it can reanimate something on turn three yeah i definitely will say that deck is like uh we'll get off this tangent in a moment Uh, but this deck (laughs) is uh the razakats is like a black hole of my cdh knowledge like i I know nothing comparatively to every other thrasis into a deck and every other reanimator deck in the format i know so little about that deck i don't know why i've just avoided it (laughs) somehow all these years Uh, it's it's a deck that kind of fell off the map a little bit uh, recently um you know go back a year and a bit, and I would say that that deck was like really quite popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and that this you know says nothing really about how strong the deck is, especially now that it's playing Thassa's Oracle. I think it's you know perfectly yeah. perfectly viable. But uh, it's just one of those things where you know new cards have been printed and people's attention has moved elsewhere. Yeah. Um, so yeah, which happens. Atten- speaking of new cards, where people's attention has have moved to, let's get started on the greedy keeps for Keenan. <laughs> All right, let's do it. All right. Good segue. Um, one moment. All right. So getting into the hands, uh, we're going to talk about just what we're looking for again because we got on a bit of a tangent there. So I'm going to read off our hand, and Pongo is going to give us some thoughts. Flooded Strands, Snow-Covered Island, Finhorn Elves, Prophetic Prism, Mox Amber, Misty Rainforest, and Gemstone Caverns. So... Before, I was sort of in the middle of saying we are looking for explosive hands um, because, you know, this deck doesn't necessarily grind incredibly well. It can grind well. You can keep those hands that, for example, play, uh, you know, an early Sylvan Library and try to ride that uh, into sort of a longer game victory. But most of the time, I'm looking for a hand that uh, wins on turn three. Um, So if we look at this hand... um, on the surface, you know, if you're not necessarily used to this deck, if you're playing, for example, like Thrasios, you might actually consider this a keep um, because it has a ton of mana in it. But the problem is that we're not fantastic at actually converting mana into cards. You know, Kinnon generates a lot of mana. Um, so this has half of what we're looking for. It has a lot of the mana, um, but it doesn't have the payoff. So this is a, definitely a mulligan for me, um, even though, you know, sort of like you have a very clear plan and curve where you play, you know, your turn one dork into turn two Kinnon, Mox Amber into Prophetic Prism. You know, on a second seven or on a six, I would probably I would probably keep this on a six in the hopes that my first three draws, including the draw of the Prophetic Prism, find me some action. But on a first seven, I'm probably going to look for something a little bit better. Yeah, and I think you're right. The draw of the Prophetic Prism, I think this hand does make enough mana that you could like conceivably activate Kinnon on turn two, but that just isn't actually that good, right? Like, well, so having a hand that generates tons and tons of mana is is great, and it's what we're looking for. But but the um, primary plan be activating Kinnon and hoping you get that's, there. That's yeah. That's, that's not... we want to avoid that. Yeah. So if, you know, if we had a couple of lands f- fewer. 
um, and like a counter spell and a tutor, then this would become a keep. Um, but with four lands and three mana rocks, this is not a keep. All right. Or three three mana sources additional. Sure. So this is our second seven. Verdant Catacombs, Breeding Pool, Reshape, Dramatic Reversal, Mana Confluence, Pact and Negation, and Mana Drain. Um, this is a very different hand than the last one. What yeah, this think? is the opposite side of the deck. Um, so if we could somehow combine these two hands, then that would be perfect. But Yeah, uh... that's, I'm sure a lot of decks <laughs> would prefer to be able to do that. Uh, I, I, I'm not even suggesting a 14-card hand. That would be even better. But uh, no, no, you know, reshape is great. Um, definitely something we would have wanted to have had in that previous hand. Um, but this hand is, again, missing um, that early acceleration that would make this hand a keep. Uh, if this hand had, like, a Sol Ring or a Mana Crypt in it, then, you know, we're potentially cooking with gas at that point. Uh, just looking for our outlet, but on a second seven, I'm definitely mulliganing this hand. It's just uh, you know too many sort of dead slash uh, specifically like interactive cards, not enough acceleration, um, and you know a little bit awkward to uh, have the reshape without an artifact. All right, Forbidden Orchard, Tezzeret the Seeker, City of Brass, Phantasmal Image, Snow Covered Island, Arcane Signet, Mr. Grimora, and this is our six. What do you think? I think on six, I'm willing to keep this hand, uh, you know, depending on turn order and depending on how powerful Mystic Remora is going to be. Um, you know, this hand has enough potential upside in Phantasmal Image, uh, theoretically being like a Thrasios or some other really powerful creature, um, you know, either an outlet or a value. And then uh, we have a piece of acceleration uh, in the Arcane Signet. And eventually we're going to find, hopefully, a win condition with Tezzeret. So this hand has the pieces. Unfortunately, it's kind of like a little bit slower and grindier than I, than we necessarily would like in a hand. But I think at six, it's justifiable. Well, I would bottom the Forbidden Orchard. Is that is that what you would think? Yes. Um, so as much as you know, Rainbow Lands are great. I also really like having a, a snow-covered land just in case I happen to top deck an Arkham's Astrolabe, um, and I don't necessarily think we need the third land here, and I would just much rather be playing City of Brass uh, rather than giving people additional creatures most of the time. Would you, just looking at this hand, not knowing your next two draws, I mean, they'll definitely impact it. Do you think you play a turn two Arcane Signet into Mystic Remora or turn one Mystic Remora? That's going to depend on the pod. So I, if I know that I'm playing against the pod where people are going to jam their hands into Mystic Remora, I might play it on turn one and just let it go after one turn, after hopefully getting an Ancestral Recall off of it. Um, if I know people are going to show more restraints or maybe play Mana Dorks, uh, then I'll probably hold on to it um, and, and go for a bit of a slower start. Uh, you know, a lot of those green-type mid-range decks that aren't necessarily going to feed the Mystic Remora super, super early uh, will also tend to be playing a slower game plan anyway, so uh, hopefully we can just leverage the fact that this hand has you know some some pretty high quality cards in it and get there from from that point yeah i like the sequencing uh i mean sometimes you just jam the turn one or more but i find the sequencing it, like keenan is a fun card to sequence like the like trying to take advantage of the mana combined with the cumulative upkeep on mystic or like i i just enjoy as a player like trying to figure out like 
how do I sequence this mana rock so that I get the most amount of draws, but I also am able to like, you know, play a turn three Keenan with a Mystic Remora in play and still be able to, you know, maybe play a mana dork or something. Mm-hmm. So that's just the kind of player I am. I I enjoy just thinking through those lines. Oh, I I agree. Um, it's definitely really a very valuable conversation to be having, particularly for players who might be less experienced playing Mystic Remora. I think a lot of people get the idea in their heads that you have to jam turn one Mystic Remora if you have it. Um, but you're right that holding it up can theoretically cost you some tempo, so you do actually need to be considering that, um, you know, how much you're paying into it and how much uh, tempo you're willing to lose by maintaining it. You know, if your opponents don't respect it and they get massively ahead, it might not matter how many cards you have in your hand at that point. Yeah. All right. So we're keeping this six, bottoming for Bin Orchard. Let's go get a fresh seven. Tezzeret the Seeker, Cyclonic Rift, Chrome Mox, Arcane Signet, Flusterstorm, Ancient Tomb, Breeding Pool. This hand is pretty sick. I yeah, like this I hand. like this hand. <laughs> um, um, go ahead. Yeah, well, I was going to say, so this hand, theoretically, depending on turn order, could cast a turn one Kinnon, uh, as well as having, you know, five mana on turn two. So theoretically there is a world where this hand could win on turn two um you know just slamming down tezzeret the seeker immediately tutoring up basalt monolith on turn two um and With, you and have... having top decked a uh, one mana outlet i think you yeah you're just short of what you'll have infinite mana but you won't be able to activate if you draw a blue i get yeah it is. It is. It's not awkward that you have infinite mana on turn two, but um, <laughs> it is definitely awkward that you have to basic. You can hold up protection. You'll have enough mana to do that, uh, so you'll be able to use your Fluster Storm to protect your Tesseret. But it's still a. Uh, it's a very interesting hand. I. I mean, I think it's a great hand. But I um... love it. <laughs> I, love, <laughs> I love this hand. But yeah, slamming Tesseret on turn two, and uh, you know immediately. Or not even necessarily immediately getting the Basalt Monolith, um, you know, is certainly very, very powerful. Tezzeret's quite a strong card. Um, I don't know that I would necessarily be concerned with having a protected turn two win. Uh, you know, most of the time, if I can make an attempt on turn two, and part of that attempt is just resolving a Planeswalker, then, like, I'm pretty content yeah. to go for it because it's hard to interact with Planeswalkers. Um, it depends on what my potential outlet that I draw into is. If I draw yeah. into a Mirage Mirror by some miracle, then I feel pretty good about it because there's not that much one-mana interaction that's going to um, actually stop Tezzeret slash uh, like Mirage Mirror. You know, you're dodging things like Flusterstorm, Dispel, um, you're, you're dodging Swan Song. You're not dodging Red Blast, so that's a consideration. Um, you're not dodging Spell Pierce, you're not dodging Forces, but I'm not playing around forces pretty much ever and yeah. i think that going for it on turn two is is generally correct um unless people you know somehow telegraph that they have the interaction uh, obviously this is all hypothetical because you know this hand might not draw into uh something like a green sun zenith or or a, a stroke of genius or yeah, a mirage it, mirror it between now and turn two but it, is it can happen it is possible in some pods like if you're on the play for example I think it's like totally possible that you like play Tezzeret on turn two, maybe uptick or get some other 
artifact that will help you win in the long term. I, I'm not entirely sure, but you don't have to. Uh, you can play Tezzer on turn two, still hold up a Flusterstorm, which which I think is. I think most players are obligated, if able to, just be able to hold up that interaction on turn two against like the farm decks if they're at the table. You know, yeah, absolutely. You're able to basically get your entire combo online, or the majority of your combo online, and ready to go. Is there a one mana artifact outlet? No, so get? there isn't. Tezzer, so there's no one mana artifact outlet, but what you can do, for example, is just minus one. Uh, so you maintain the ability to minus three on the following turn, grab an Arkham's Astrolabe, which ramps you for one and draws you a card. Um, so just as kind of like a value play that you can do on turn two and, you know, like get some value, even if somebody's mm -hmm. somehow able to answer Tezzeret, um, you know, that's that's one consideration. Hmm, that's interesting. I like that. And obviously you can grab, uh, you know, I, I'm not playing Mox Opal because I think that it can be awkward in a lot of openers, especially if you're mulliganing aggressively. But um, I can uh, read your comment from a month ago on the... Yeah. On the deck website on the on Moxfield that says the card suffers from consistency issues even with a reasonably high artifact count and without Tide Tide Spout Tyrant in the list there is way less need for zero drop rocks. Do you stand by that? Right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think if you're playing Tide Spout Tyrant, then you 100% include it because yeah. you want all of those zero drops that that synergize with Tide Spout. But I happen to be not playing Tide Spout because um, I just haven't felt it necessary. One. And two, it's the type of card where, you know, it can be really awkward in openers. Um, you know, just having a random eight drop in your hand that doesn't do anything is not the best feeling in the world when, you know, you could just be going for sort of more mana-efficient early game wins, which is what this deck is more attuned toward. All right. Let's, uh, let's get a fresh seven. Snow-covered island. Uh, it's an all-lander. We're just going to skip this one. <laughs> let's go to our second seven. Seven lands. Delay, Mana Drain, Forbidden Orchard, Gitaxian Probe, Thrasios, Thrasios, Tezra the Seeker, and Regrowth. This one seems pretty sus. Yeah, this, I'm not keeping this hand just because it's missing acceleration. Um, you know, the nice thing about it is that you do have, you know, a tutor for Basil Monolith and an outlet, but um, with just one land, you know, even, even with Gitaxian Probe theoretically giving you two more looks. Um, you're looking to find more lands and acceleration, so you're missing yeah, uh, this is quite a bit of stuff. Even the turn you try to go off, let's say like you play a turn two Kinnon, I mean, you're still so far away, right? You're yeah. not even close. So, all right, going to six. Blink of an eye into the Royal. Command Tower, Mystic Remora, Dramatic Reversal, Arkham's Astrolabe Dispel. Definitely not going to keep this one either. I think, uh, you know, we don't have a fetch or a basic for the the Astrolabe to cantrip with that and, and also theoretically accelerate off of Kinnon. Um, you know, we have just a little bit too much interaction and Dramatic Reversal is great when you explode into a ton of mana rocks and dorks and stuff and then it, it's a ritual. Um, and this hand doesn't really have a clear line to assembling the Scepter win, so it's just kind of a dead card. Yeah, and the two bounce spells is kind of awkward too. Yeah, I, I do like the bounce spells because um, a lot of the time on some of your infinite mana lines, you end up with, a, for example, a green-green or a blue-blue uh, outlet, like a, either a finale of Devastation or a pull from, a t uh, pull from tomorrow. Um, 
And so sometimes you might only have one blue available to you post Basalt Monolith, at which point, you know, you can use one of these bounce spells to pick up one of your rocks and replay it to fix for your double Ooh, color requirement. That's really cool. Um, that, yeah, so that's what Basalt Monolith allows you to do a lot of the time is people don't necessarily realize is that it, it kind of cheats on all of your non-colored requirements for the rest of your combo turns. So, like, it's a very, very powerful ritual in addition to being, um, you know, part of your win condition. Yeah, I'm imagining you, like, bounce your Astrolabe, <laughs> replay your Astrolabe, make two color of a color you've, you've that, been short on. That happens quite a bit, actually. Um, and exactly. So a lot of the time you're picking up, you know, Chain of Vapor, again, is, is super, super powerful here for, you know, for the same kind of reason. Um, being able to serve as a ritual for converting colorless mana into colored mana, um, but also like to subsequently like pick up uh, one of your mages to tutor another piece. Um, you know, it, it is important to to realize that Basalt Monolith essentially means that you're only paying colored mana costs from from that point on, um, which is also part of the reason why this deck is playing a lot of outlets that are as much as possible lights on colored mana requirements. So you're not going to see a blue sun zenith here. You're not going to see... I, I'm not playing War of Invention for that reason, which may not be correct, but because obviously you can end step it into your Basalt Monolith. Yeah, but I, it's still a lot of blue mana. I think you're correct. I, I, War is a very awkward card. It's very awkward. Um, yeah. Let's go to, to our five. Another Allander. <laughs> Yikes. Do you keep the Allander or five? Um, no. no I'm going to go to four. Muddle and Mixture, Finale Devastation, Fierce Guardianship, Exotic Orchard, Prophetic Prism, Chromox, Firexy Metamorph. If you're on the play here, it's just embarrassing. <laughs> you know? Because um, your Exotic Orchard doesn't have for mana. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. Most of the time you're not. <laughs> That's a little awkward. Most of the time um, you're not, so. Yeah, there's a 75% chance that you're not. Um,. Yeah, that that's a little unfortunate. Obviously, you know, theoretically, you can top deck another land or another uh, colored mana source. Um, at which point, this hand actually becomes pretty decent, right? Because you keep a bunch of mana, um, hoping at that point just to top deck, you know, a tutor or something like that. I think, you know, some people might disagree with me, but I'm probably keeping land, prophetic prism, chrome mox, and then a spell to put under the chrome mox. Just because Prophetic Prism cantrips and also accelerates under Kinnon, no, um, and I right. and I want to milk that as much as possible. Um, obviously, the risk there is that you kind of just spin your wheels and end up nowhere. Yeah, I think, I think, I think what I would do is Exotic Orchard, Prophetic Prism, Chrome Mox, and probably Metamorph. Well, so you can't put Metamorph under the Chrome Mox. I know. Yeah. I I think you either draw the second land. I think you either draw the second land or you don't. <laughs> you know, I guess there's I a high I'm, chance I'm actually an keeping. I, I think guess I'm probably keeping. Mm, I'm torn between keeping muddle or finale. Um, so keeping finale is better in the event that we draw any other colored card that we want to put under the chrome box. Um, and and muddle is just better to stick straight under the chrome box. Um, I do I like think, with Finale, yeah. it could find like a Phantasmal image and copy like a Chrom or something. Well, so Finale can also just find Trophy Mage and then find Basil Monolith. You're right, yeah. So so that gives us a way to potentially win. It can also find uh, an outlet 
um, if we've already found our basalt monolith some other way. It also way. is an outlet of sorts, right? on your board state. Exactly. So I, I, I would probably at four keep the finale just because your odds of winning are already hurt so significantly by going down to four that you're hoping for some kind of hot draws. Um, so you might as well play to your outs of, of getting, uh, you know, some, some really good draws in your next two draws, uh, you know, yeah. just play to your, your out of drawing well, <laughs> because at four you have to. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, let's just do one more set of hands. Sure. Mystical Tutor. Oh, there's no lands here. Uh, would you keep an... I'll, I'll read it. Mystical Tutor, pull from tomorrow, Chrome Box, Mystic Remora, Fabricate, Arcane, Slate, Phantasm Image. Would you, you wouldn't keep the no-lander, would you? Um, no. So, I mean, like, obviously this was an interesting one to read just because of the Chrome Box and the Mystic Remora. Yeah. You know, you could make an argument for it. All on a first seven, I'm not going to keep it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> on a first seven, I'm probably not keeping this, although... If I'm playing against people that I know are like famously greedy into Mystic Remora, then like maybe you can keep it in the hopes that you top deck a land turn one and slam Remora and find your second land drop, um, play an Arcane Signet. But even even that doesn't sound fantastic. You know, to what's... be honest though, if you hit the land and you go, I think if you hit the land and go Chromox, uh, probably exiling, pull from tomorrow probably, yeah. Here I might exile either Mystical Tutor or Phantasmal Image, actually. Sure. So Just you exile one of those cards. You play Arcane Signet, then you drop Mystic Remora. Your next turn you pay for Remora with a Chrome Box. You play Kinnon. Next turn you play Fabricate. You're, like, doing pretty well. I, I just think that on a first seven, that's too risky. You're right. You know, if I'm you're right. If I'm playing with friends and there's very little at stake or nothing at stake, then sure, maybe I'll try it for the memes. Yeah. If I'm playing in a tournament, I'm not gonna give myself that potential chance sure. when I'm. This is my first seven. Sure. All right. Second or, seven. Was that first seven or was that second that seven? I can't remember. Wow, I just keep getting okay. more. Mana confluence, yeah. <laughs> soul ring, delay, prismatic vista, city of brass, mystic, or more mox down. This hand's insane. Right. Yeah, this hand's immediately a lot better, and so you know uh, you feel pretty good about having Mulligan that uh, first hand. Another one. Are you gonna just? You, I guess you just play Mystic Remora Soul Ring, right? That's... Um. Let me think. Yeah, I, I think almost certainly because you're you're still gonna cast Cannon on turn two, and you're still gonna have colored yeah. mana available. So you probably yeah, just pretty tap it's... the Soul Ring. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna use the Soul Ring to pay for the Mystic Remora, as as weird funny. as that sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Because then you get to play Kinnon and hold up delay. Yep. Exactly. All right. Well, that is the end of our our keeps in this episode of Greedy Keeps. Do you have anything else you'd like to say about the deck? Um, I I think I've said pretty much everything I need to say. Uh, I I talked probably way too much uh, at the beginning of the episode <laughs> about some of the uh, sort of early philosophy and development of the deck. You know, kind of treading over that same ground. Uh, that we already covered in the other episode, but no, I don't. I don't think I have much else to add. Yeah, we've got a lot of questions. We've got a lot of requests for a Canon episode, which is why I reached out. I know we we did the podcast before, but we actually got a lot of uh, requests for a Canon deck, and I really like your list. And we already had talked about it, and I just like you, Pongo. So we oh, had you, you on. <laughs> I appreciate. So, it. Yeah, I'm always glad um, to join, uh, yeah. to to take part. It's fun. Yeah, we'll have to. 
I guess we've already done Najula, haven't we? Hmm. We have. Um, Derevi? You know, I have a, we can do Derevi. I have another spicy one for you, and, you know, this might be a fun one to just sort of, you know, let the episode kind of go out on, um, just fade to black on, on this spicy number. But I have an ep uh, a deck that, that combos with rule of law effects. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> so we can definitely talk about that deck sometime. I like your faces. Okay, okay, fine. All right. We can talk a little bit about this one if you want. <laughs> Just give me a sneak peek. Give me a. Give me, what's the combo at least? That's it's a knowledge pool deck. Um, All right, that's what I was thinking, but I was like, knowledge pool and, and this economy. <laughs> it's not Lavinia specifically as commander, okay. but Lavinia is naturally in the deck. But uh, no, it's um, it's a Kenrith deck, and Kenrith actually kind of breaks parity on the knowledge pool locks because he obviously Kenrith has. He has a million abilities. Yeah. You can cast him under the lock. And, you know, worst case scenario is, you know, if you have to spend a couple of turns to get your hand size up to eight so you can discard something, well, you do that and then you reanimate it. With... <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. um, I actually, you know, getting, getting to play these rule of law effects, uh, to interact with all the turbo decks, um, as interaction, obviously, but also to be able to have some kind of hard lock combo with them is pretty spicy. Yeah. It's, I was talking to a friend of mine named Charles about rule of law, and he used the term I really liked. Uh, it's like a, an action economy, where like rule of law shifts how, like if you think of like magic as this, like an economy of actions, right? Mm -hmm. Like rule of law sets like is like sets hard limits, and so decks that are like meant to take advantage of like men taking many actions. Um, that it, that are spells are like critically affected by rule of law. It's really interesting. He he uh, actually wrote an article about it that will be out eventually once the Walking Dead drama ends. Apparently, so mm. I'm excited to uh, read that and show it to other people. So some it's more very, spoilers. Yeah, that's a very good way to put it to put it and to look at it. Um, yeah, apparently I think we can uh, Mike talk Flores. About that at length, but I don't. <laughs> Yeah, apparently Mike Flores came up with that term of of like early magic fame. So it's a mm. uh, it's interesting. I I have thoughts. I just don't know that this is the correct it's time not. to we discuss it. Unfortunately. Bit. All right. Why why are you doing this? You're making me want to talk even more. <sighs> All right. Thank you everyone who uh, got this far <laughs> to the episode, and I hope you enjoyed our sneak peeks to other things we'll be talking about soon. See you. Bye.